This is a Shock Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan. Hi, everyone. This is Chet, and welcome to the fifteenth and the last episode of season two of From Grade to Grade podcast. Hey, Chet. Last episode. Hi. How are you doing, by the way? Because, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, as we're speaking, Jed and I, a few days ago, have contracted COVID-19. You're mm-hmm. in Singapore, you got yeah. COVID. I'm in Manila, I got COVID a few days ago. And both Jed and I are doing better now. I think it's been nine days or seven days uh, since I've had the worst part of my COVID. How about you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay now. Like, Would you categorize uh, your symptoms as mild or moderate? Because I would say mine would be mild but bordering to moderate because I had two days of really rough days, like feverish, coughing and all. Mine was just persistent cough. No fever, no sore throat. Are you still coughing for a bit? I am slightly. No, zero. Like, zero now. Um, okay. Well, good yeah. for you. But this is me and Jed reminding everyone that COVID is real. Now, there's a <laughs> not, wave going on. So. Not that we doubted it, but there is a wave. Okay, Jed, yep. discovery time. Before yeah. we do, because I think there's going to be one of the most exciting episodes. We've reserved this as the last episode of season two. Yep. So discovery time, you, your turn first. So where we live here in Singapore, um, there's a bagel shop nearby. <laughs> and I, I'm not really a big bagel person. So that led me to my discovery <laughs> of flavors that are unexpectedly good together, like With. a good match. And what would that match be? So yeah, one of those would be the peanut butter and the Spam on a bagel. I thought that was amazing. Peanut butter with Spam. Yeah, that that would be weird. Is it? No, it's weird at the beginning, but then I thought it was amazing. You know why it works by logic? It's 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 salt and sweet. Exactly, it's salt and sweet, so it, it does work. Theoretically, it would work. So the other thing that I discovered is a good drink is a mixture of Earl Grey tea and a mango puree or mango concentrate. Because I love Earl Grey and Earl Grey is made from the olive, a type of olive, which is your bergamot, right? Yeah. And I think it's too faint. So even if you mix it with mango... It's, you know, Earl Grey is going to be gone. Earl Grey is not a faint tea. For me, it is. is. No, it's actually a strong tea. Another one, um, which is my last, it's actually the hojicha, which is the roasted green tea. I love, I love that taste. I love that taste. Hojicha, and you mix it with honey citron. That is also a good combination. It could be served hot or it could also be served in a slush. Okay, mine is another issue about health, which happened last week. On the same day that I was about to get tested for COVID because I was experiencing symptoms. So we were meeting up with some friends and one of them had dogs and they were really cute French bulldogs. I was so, you know, in Tagalog, we call it as gigil, meaning like you just can't stop but touching their faces because they're so cute. So one of them, I kept on touching their faces and I kept on playing with it as if it was a doll that I think it got irritated with what I was doing and bit me. And my discovery was it is such a hassling experience to get anti-rabies vaccination because you need to get five shots. So Mm -hmm. I got my first shot within the next 24 hours, which by the way is an important rule. 
uh, you need to get your first shot on the first 24 hours. The next one is on the third day, then on the seventh day, then on the 14th day, then on the 21st day. So I've finished my third and seventh. I still have two more shots. Such hassling thing. So what I just did, instead of going to a hospital, I do have my own healthcare insurance for it, but it's just so hassling. Plus, your healthcare insurance doesn't really cover everything. So what I did as advice by some friends and some doctor friends buy the vaccine from the drugstore and then have a nurse vaccinate you instead, which is what I did. So, but the discovery here is don't get bitten by a dog. It is such a hassling, inconvenient. I mean, the vaccination part, you know, nothing to sweat for because, you know, needles are easy to manage. It's more of the finding the time, the paperwork that you need to accomplish in the hospital or in the clinic. And just the idea of, you know, chasing time for it. So there. We're done with discovery, right? Is there anything else you'd like to share? (laughs) We we could have one whole episode of just discoveries. Yeah. All right, Jed. Um, I think it's time to proceed to the last episode of season two and we save the best for the last episode because this is about travels. And you and I attribute a lot of our personal and professional growth to our domestic and international travel. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about how travel has changed our perspectives about life. And this is an episode, it's an homage to being grateful to the cities and countries that have changed the way we see life and therefore have made positive impact to becoming better workers, better employees, and better businessmen in our fields. So Jed and I are going to be sharing some of our favorite cities or countries. Are you okay with that, Jed? And then Yeah, it's a good yeah, it's a good topic. And then we'll quickly share what did we learn from being in that city or having lived in that city or having stayed in that city for a few days. Jed, do you want to start or should I start? I'll go ahead first. Um, My city that has a huge impact on me is obviously, and this is a no-brainer, it's uh, it's Singapore. Let me guess, Singapore. (laughs) Um, I would be surprised. Eight and a half years of working here, my first professional career was in Singapore. I did not have any experience back in Manila because after I graduated, I went straight to Singapore. And so in those eight and a half years of working in Singapore, I saw the country grow in terms of the infrastructures, in terms of... Ah, I just realized Marina Bay Sands wasn't yet in place during that time. The Esplanade was still like the iconic architecture in Singapore that time. That was it. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I was able to see through all these um, changes of Singapore. And to me, that was very inspiring. I first realized that life is like this in general, that it's tough. It could be a struggle. It could be... Like Did you have was, a hard time, by the way, in course, your first, it, it, first it, it few it months? slap you in the face. You are speaking with people from different nations. You are speaking not to just Filipinos, but people of authorities people mm. who are so much older than you are. So, and and I've worked with different personalities and different people from Koreans, Japanese, Australians, Americans. And mm. to me, what Singapore gave me is really that character that I am now, which is to be strong. The, the, cold, and, and, the cold-hearted, cold-hearted yeah, Jed. You could and, say that. <laughs> and, 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 and being able to sympathize with, you know, different people, how to really manage people in workplace and in a social You setting. mean, sorry, let me clarify, how to manage people if they come from different cultures, is that what we're trying to say? Yes, and, and yeah, they're, they're, they're the difference in culture, the difference 
different personalities? How how do you empathize with mm. people with other beliefs, political views, religion? I think that's what Singapore has done mm. to me. Okay. Otherwise, you know, if I have been working in the Philippines, then it would have been just uh, the same culture and the same people that I'll be working with and, and dealing with. All right, my turn. Mine would be almost the same as what you thought about Singapore, especially in multiculturalism. Uh, but my city is Kuala Lumpur. And I placed this at the top of my list because obviously I've spent so many years in that city since I won the show. And if I were just to add something that's very similar to Singapore, and by the way, Jed, do you agree that Singapore and Kuala Lumpur have so many similarities in terms oh, yeah, of, you know, sure. there are pros and cons for each city. But I think one thing that I would add about Kuala Lumpur is that multiculturalism here works because I think even if there are some Malaysian Chinese, there are some Malaysian Indians, there are some Malays. One thing that I notice is that cuisine is so much integrated into their lives that a Malaysian Chinese will easily see the cuisine of the others as not something that's exotic. They see it as something that they can eat on a daily basis, right? And I think that's something that goes with the same lines that the, the quickest way to someone's heart is their stomach. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Wrong. There are a lot of other multicultural cities like New York. Like New York is very multicultural, but a New Yorker, even if it appreciates cuisines from Chinese or let's say from Indian or whatever, they see it as not a staple food on a daily basis, right? Maybe Chinese because a lot of New Yorkers eat Chinese food and take a Chinese takeout, but it's normal for them to say, I'm going to eat Thai tonight. I'm going to eat Indian food tonight. The Malaysians don't care what they're eating for the day because all types of dishes, whether it's Malaysian, Indian, Chinese, or Malay food, is Malaysian food. Okay. Interesting. So, so it's not like having to choose, ooh, I'm, I'm fed up eating this type of cuisine. Let me switch it up to something else. I think the cuisine is so unique that it has gelled and integrated everything into one literal melting pot. It's a symbol of how this city, even if there is differences in terms of race and religion, they see that more as a personality difference rather than as a race difference. That's yeah. a very deep, deep reflection I know. of a culture. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I think some, I'm worried now because maybe some of my Malaysian friends would be like, what the yeah. hell is Jonathan? Yeah, exactly. Again, it, this that's is my... A very, that's a very personal reflection. It or, is a very personal reflection. Yeah. Very personal reflection. Okay, sorry, I'm digressing. Your turn. Your second city. Ah, uh, the second city, I think I would love I, to go back over and over and over again. It's because it has changed me personally is India. It's actually, it's not a city, but it's a country. So India is actually the top of my list when it comes to countries to visit. That's at par with Italy. So it's Italy and India for me as number one country that I love the most. But what about India is that it was the first country that I have been where I was deeply troubled at the beginning when I was traveling. And Wait, I remember, how old were you when you visited India? I remember this story. 23, I think. I remember when you said that you were being scammed in some train. So, yeah, left and right. And I came to India because I was inspired by the movie of, uh, this is funny, a movie by Wes Anderson, a favorite director of mine. Into the Wild. Dar no, The I Darjeeling sorry. Limited. That's not. Okay. Okay. That's okay, not sorry. Wes Anderson. The Darjeeling Limited by Wes Anderson. And that really inspired me. I, the beautiful sceneries and the beautiful cinematography of the film made me just literally pack my bag without 
any hotel reservations for an entire month. That's really wait. You've been to India for a month. I've been to India for a month. I was. That's really a backpacker's life. Yes, I did not have any hotel reservations at all. So I just booked my flight and the the domestic flights that I needed to get from one city to another. But otherwise, there's no booking at all. It was a stupid, stupid decision, but one that I will always remember for the rest of my life because. Um, at the beginning, I was like, this is really not going well. Everything is just so bad. I've been scammed left and right. I don't know anybody. I don't have any friends. I don't have a guide at all. Uh, so I don't know where to go. And I, I just left myself to the hands of rickshaw drivers, of taxi drivers. Bring me to this place. Bring me to that place. Yeah, with zero knowledge. And so I cried on the third night. It's like, why am I here? I wish to go back. And then I met a backpacker there who was apparently in India for like six months. And then he told me these stories. And only then I realized that the way to really enjoy the fleeting moment of you being there is just to really embrace it. I um, Okay, I'm going to insert myself again here. I'm sorry. I, I knew that I said in the last episode that I should not, not be inserting myself. But you just gave me a realization about yourself and let me know if my realization is good because I think what separates both of us the two of us is that I'm more control freak I think over the years you were also a control freak but you've gone to a point wherein you were able to learn yeah. how to let loose yes exactly right? I'm, I'm actually heading into that like okay. um, no <laughs> seriously I, okay. I'm heading I'm, to I'm that clapping for myself because like I got something correct yeah. about <laughs> so yeah it's, it's basically like things will always screw up. The world is full of variables. You can never control everything. And it's only at that moment that you just really have to embrace that moment and say, okay, I need to calm down and everything will work its own ways, you know, mm. even if without me controlling the whole thing and it will be well. So India taught me that. India taught me to just go with the flow of really like taking yourself for a ride. And only then I loved the country. I loved, I started to love the food. I started to love the beauty of the place, the exotic sceneries, the senses. That's it what makes I really me realize. Yeah. It makes me realize what if I also was able to see India earlier in my life? Probably it would have changed my personality as well. Could be, could be, could be. Mm. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, India made me open my eyes into saying that you can never control everything. Because yeah. I'm also going to say this because I, I don't think I can say much about India because I've only been to Mumbai, which I don't think is the best representation of India because I think Mumbai is one of the more organized mm-hmm. cities. I will say this, however, what you see in films, whenever India is depicted like uh, Eat, Pray and Love, I think has a lot of scenes about India. I would say, however, that the chaos that you see on the streets are, I think, true. I, I think it's still filtered down. <laughs> it, there's nothing, you, you can never compare to the real thing, really. Yeah. All right. Uh, wow. We're, I wish this was a two-hour episode, but we only have a few minutes. So my turn, uh, I would say New York. And I think, Jed, mm. you, you also love New York. I love New York. It's not my favorite city in the world. Before, when I was younger, it was. But I would put this in the list of the cities that have changed my life. So I just want to make that difference. Just because it changed your life doesn't mean it has to be your favorite city. So New York did change my perception because and my first uh, visit was in 2016. And my realization about New York 
was what I didn't want in my life. And this is where the, this is where the quote goes. Sometimes you have to taste the things that you don't like for you to appreciate the things that you truly like. Because when I went to New York, I mean, Jed, you, you, you know how the, the high octane energy of New York is, right? Oh, yeah. So you walk in the city and if you're too slow to walk, people will literally just bump into you and say you're walking too slow. Right. And I remember on my second day when I was ordering something from McDonald's and it took me a while to order. The server, the cashier was shouting at me and say, hey, if you're not ready to order, get out of the line. And I was like, what? Like, are people really that rude in this city? But also it made me realize that this city is so materialistic. I'm sorry if there are any New Yorkers listening or if I, I have lots of friends in New York, but I do find the city very materialistic in the sense that if I were to make a metaphor, it's like an aquarium of fish. If you, you know, throw some fish food into the tank, wherever you place that food and sprinkle it, the fish will always follow. And I feel like New Yorkers are like that. So everywhere that you go, it's always about buy this perfume, buy this uh, brand new car. I feel like everything has become so commercialized and it made me question during my stay because I did spend a few months for a client in New York that time in 2016. It made me realize, is this the kind of life that I want? Mm -hmm. And I find it too empty because I was chasing pavements. I think that the feeling of chasing everything, money, you know, the trends, I think it is something felt in cities that are mega cities and, and very global, like perhaps in, in Tokyo as well, in Shanghai, in Hong Kong, in Singapore. Kong, yeah. So you you would always have that sense of you not in European for, not for in European money. cities though. Yeah, I would say that's that. true. Because the, in, the, the lifestyle there is quite, you know, balanced. But I guess there must be some really trigger moments or events for you in New York that really made you realize that that's a city there was of capitalism. Yeah, there wasn't really something major but I just felt like maybe okay maybe there was this occasion because every time I went to a club every time I went to someone's apartment every time I went to someone's party the question was always like so what do you do for a living? Hey that's what Japanese always ask Okay, first I, introduction. Sure sure I get that but, but for me I feel like you were always being sized up to the point that your worth as a person was always about how much dollars do you make per month. Yeah. So but, but then I, again, I, I, I didn't feel Feel that in other cities. Okay. But yeah. New York was that city where I feel like it's not about, it made me question like, I know that happiness can be attributed to the how much money you make, but it's not all about money, right? And it made me commit to myself. I will be conscious of what I want to achieve in my life such that in my last breaths on my deathbed, I don't want to count how much I have in my bank account. I rather want to count how much legacy I've left to the people that I've touched in my life. So, so thank you, New York, for making me realize that. Okay, your turn. Your last city. Ah, uh, last city is obviously Tokyo. Again, no brainer. Um, Tokyo is pretty much the the city, my favorite city in the world. I had the best time living in Tokyo. But yeah, I mean, what Tokyo actually made me realize is just being silent, being quiet, focusing on yourself. And at the same time, focusing on the well-being and welfare of others. Mm. That's what Japan has taught me. Being mindful of what others yes, yes, correct. Being uh, are doing. So, and so let me put this on a more tangible event. Like, for example, 
just the idea of being inside a train and people don't really speak, those are precious moments when you go to other cities and people are just so noisy. It's like, oh no. It's like, I wanted to have, you know, a peace of mind before I even reach the office. And when I come home, I want that peace of mind as well. Peace of, and literally like, seriously silence everywhere i love that and i learned that with that silence there's a lot of focus and concentration and self-reflection that comes into me i love your lesson that you you took away from from tokyo by the way yeah yeah i don't think this is just applicable in trains but again from a third party perspective I see Japan as a city that from its commercial point of view, it has designed architecture specifically for one person. Like mm-hmm. seats seats in restaurants and fast yeah. food, they're this, designed you know, for, for Mc- one person. Correct. McDonald's in Japan are the quietest McDonald's you will ever be in all over the world. Like and said, Manila, by the way, is the noisiest. I would say <laughs> no, that. Probably. Like, like what you said, you know, the restaurants are designed such that a single person will never feel awkward of eating outside by himself or herself. Like Ipudo, for example, has seats for one person. I'm not sure if if it's Ipudo or another ramen restaurant we're in. They even make sure that you don't get to catch eye to eye with the servers yeah, because yeah, there yeah. are just walls. I can't remember the name of that ramen store. Ramen but shop. The ramen yeah. is just served and you just see the hands of the servers. Yep, you don't yep. even need to see the waiters. And that, I think, puts so much premium into privacy and to being alone. You know, the Zen that everyone is talking about in Japan, it is real. And, and when you go to Japan, that's when you will understand and realize how important it is to a person. And then when you leave Japan, that's one thing that you will really, really, really miss about Mm. Japan. Yeah. I love that discussion. Okay. Last, um, I'm actually surprised, Chad, that you didn't put any European city into your list. Right? Uh, So let me be the one to put that. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I was torn about this. Um, I was torn of either placing Paris or Rome. And they're some of my favorite cities in the world. And I'm placing them, and I think there's something similar about both of them, because these two cities are just full of art. Everyone just breeds art. And the reason why there's so much realization about it is because I think they tangibly prove to me what exactly does Maslow's hierarchy of mean of uh, needs mean. So you're familiar with Mas- Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yep. yep right? Yep. So in order for humanity to progress from being an animal into a, an intelligent creature, it has to undergo a certain ladders. Step one, you have to first provide shelter, all the animalistic needs, food, shelter, warmth, etc., health. And then if you're able to capture that sur- those survival needs, you can graduate into a sense of security, being able to, let's say, or a sense of belonging, belonging to a group of friends, a group of family, belonging to a community. And then you go up further, you're looking for prestige, you're looking for recognition, you're looking for value that you're contributing to a group that you belong to. And then at the top of the pyramid, according to Maslow, is what we call a self-actualization. Self-actualization is being able to realize your purpose, not just for yourself, but also for others. Self-actualization is you no longer think about what food are you going to eat tonight because you're self-sufficient. Rather, you think about 
how can I improve my quality of life? What else is there in life that I can enjoy? And this is when I remember I was in the Louvre, which is the Paris museum, one of the most famous museums in the world in Paris where the Mona Lisa is also kept. And I noticed that there are so many old European, um, they could be French perhaps, or they could be Italians, or they could be whatever, but they were just so engrossed looking at paintings such that in my case, even if I appreciate art, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be spending two to three minutes looking at the painting. But this women that I was observed, I was observing, they were like spending 20 minutes there. I, I was already able to look at all the 15 paintings in the room and they were still stuck on the same painting and they were discussing, debating. And I'm like, gosh, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> like it has come to a point when this women have not, no other third world problems to think about such that they can dedicate their time to art. And I can see this in other cities like Amsterdam. You know, I mean, the Northern European cities are even more affluent, right? But I would see the, say the same thing also for Rome. So people have more time to cook. And when I say cook, they don't cook to feed. They cook to dine. I mean, there's right. a difference, right? Feeding is shoving proteins and carbs so that you don't get hungry. Dining is appreciating the taste, the texture, the temperature, because all the other things in life, you've already captured them. So the question is, what's next? And those cities, therefore, changed the way I saw what the point of life is. Life is not about surviving. Life is about thriving. I think this is the charm of Europe to many people outside of Europe, which is, you know, in Italy, Dolce Vita, which is the good life. Mm. It, it's basically all about a good balance of work, of play, and of passion and of appreciating life in general. And, and that goes with uh, arts, of food, of the scenery, of, mm. of really just living a good life. And I think what you, what you mentioned about, you know, those ladies just staring at, at it for, for hours. I think it, it, it really runs in the bloods of Europeans. That I know. They, they and, really, and I envy that. These people might not be wealthy people. They're, they could just be like middle class or exactly. lower middle class. But it's just that they are ingrained to really just appreciate the beauty of, of things around Can them. I just add, and I think it's also because, well, the best cities where state welfare is structured is in Europe. Yeah, like exactly. you, get you get unemployed, you still get a certain amount of money from the government because social welfare works yep, in yep. the cities. So, ah, so there. Um, yes, if I were to be reincarnated, I love being a Filipino, don't get me wrong. But being a European when you get reincarnated is not such a bad thing. <laughs> right. So, so there. Bottom line is, I think there's this quote by St. Augustine, the world is a book and those who do not travel read only one page. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And I, I think that's the reason why if I were to give a statistic, I would say prior to COVID-19, when I was traveling a lot, I would say 20% of my total expenses go to travel. Right. Because I see it as an investment. It's not an expense. It's something that makes me even better in life. How much do you spend, Jed, for travel? I, I, I honestly don't count them because I think travel is, to me, the most expensive addiction that I have. Exactly. So, so how much? Like, would you say at least 20%? I, I, more than that. Like, oh, sometimes see? I don't so even And that's count. a big. If there was, let's say, a 17-year-old would ask me, John, if I were to invest something in my life that I should not be regretting to spend on, what would it be? I would say it, it would be travel. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, 
travel changes you permanently. You are a totally different person the moment you land and go back to your city. And I think, you know, it's true that when what they say that travel is the the world is your biggest classroom. It's not really where you study. Agree, agree, agree. But the travel makes you understand cultures, makes you experience new food. And makes you realize that you're just a speck of dust. Yeah. You thought that the universe was made out of your city and then you go to another city, which surprises you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a small person here. And and to me, the most valuable lesson of traveling is really the empathy that I get from mm. different people. Um, understanding different cultures make me realize that, hey, what I'm actually doing is not really, you know, the best practice. Best way of doing it. Agree, best way agree. of doing it. So maybe this is something that I could bring with me back home and then do it for myself to improve myself and, and share it with others. And so I, I guess I learn empathy and I learn to improve myself at the same time. I keep the same mantra. I, I, I keep the statement, my way isn't the only way. And so when I realized that the Malaysians will do a different way of sending an email, the yes. Italians would do a different way on how to cook a meal. I'm I realize I thought mine was already the best, but there is another way of doing it and it's also legit. And so you become innovative when you're able to steal best practices from other cultures and say, there's another way of doing it. Let me, let me try it out. I can't wait to travel. I haven't, I haven't gone out of the Philippines for two years now, Jed. So lucky you because you've been to Sri Lanka, you've been to Singapore in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. So for all our gladiators in suits, I hope you get to travel this year because the pandemic is finally easing and slowing down. So, and there. And thank you for listening with me and Jed in this season two. Yes. And All right. um, I wish everyone good summer for in the Northern Hemisphere. And, and for those in, in Asia, we just keep hanging on to the uh, pandemic and hope that everything is going to be okay for everyone. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.